Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Is Heath Chapman the person that's going to make the difference in your defensive line? A proven performer at a discounted price? We're unpacking him on the 50 most relevant today. Hello, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well. He is number 42 in my 50 most relevant, looking at who I think are the players we must have conversations about this preseason for Supercoach, for Dream Team, for AFL Fantasy. Joining me on this episode, not just for when we talk about Dockers, but a bunch of, about a lot of players we're unpacking this preseason. It's a mini mark. Hello, mate. Good to see you and talking about one of your Dockers today. Yeah, talking about the meaning of life himself, Mr. Number 42, Heath Chapman. He's a very interesting pick. He's getting a little bit of love across the formats, but you know, I think he might should I think he should get a little bit more than what he's getting at the moment, but let's unpack that. Yeah, let's do that. If I have a quick look over his 2023 season. Not a lot of data to look at. Just three games, and one of them was an injury-impacted game that we will get to. An average of 64.3 in Supercoach with a top score of 90 last year. So not a bad top score. You want to look at his career high, though, 136. This guy can really get it done in Supercoach, given a nice discount, given he only played a handful of games, $251,700 in that format. An average of 60.3 in AFL Fantasy, a top score last year of 85. He has reached historically, though, that triple-digit score, a career high of 100 in AF. He's just under 500,000. He'll set you back at 494,000. While in Dream Team, a little bit cheaper because he's priced off his average of last year, whereas AFL Fantasy priced him off really the highest of the previous two. So he's under 400,000 in DT. So you could argue the, case, the game is least favorable in, in terms of value right now is AFL Fantasy, but we'll unpack that in a moment. Mini Monk, you're a Dockers fan. You would know this better than me. And a lot of Dockers fans were frustrated with what went down in 2023. There are a lot of threads and reasons for why that was the case, but a real unheralded one for anyone outside of the Fremantle Footy Club and their fan base was the loss of Heath Chapman, that injury in that derby against the Eagles, really did mess up that defensive structure because aerially, footy IQ and use of ball He's a really smart defender and the Dockers missed him last year. Yeah, I mean, you saw the patch job that they tried to fix him up with. They tried Corey Wagner in the position and he got a lot of games towards the back end of 2023. Walker came back into the team. Young had to rotate through there. It meant that Luke Ryan had to play defensive at some times as well. Like it made it really unsettled as to what that best back six was. And I think it's really sorely missed is that he is a clear best 22 player for Fremantle. Like he played all through the back half of the 2022 season when they were pushing into the finals. And he was in their name team for round one. And the minute he gets injured, it's just, no, it's unsettled. Back six is in trouble. They're trying to look for replacements. So I think the biggest thing to note with someone like Chapman is that he's got a clear spot in that 22. Like he's clearly going to be playing. He's someone that we can rely on because of that. And that he'll be structured back to that Fremantle backline. Which I think is super important, not just for Heath and ultimately his fantasy output, but for potentially some of the other moves that are being suggested might come from the Fremantle Footy Club this 
off-season and pre-season. He played three games last year. One of them's injury impacted. And anytime someone has an injury impacted game, does his shoulder, requires surgery, season is done. I kind of throw out that game when we're looking for what they could be. Not to say that it doesn't count. It does. It affects their average. It affects their things. But for me, those two games last year, 85 and 72 in Dream Team and Fantasy, pre-injury, 90 and 70 in Supercoach, okay. The scoring's there that we saw moments and glimpses of in 2022. Really had some strong games last year against mm. North Melbourne, I think it was, or, uh, or Melbourne actually, yep. was that 100 in AFL Fantasy, while his best game in Supercoach was that 136. There was also this game against St Kilda that really stood out to me in terms of how he impacted. A 90 in Supercoach, 85 in Fantasy, all up. Um, he had six additional scores that year in AF and DT that were 80-plus, including a pair of 95s, while in Supercoach, three tons, including that 136. I'm glossing over 136, but you get a 136 in the first month of the year, my friends. Price Rocket is sky high. So that's in his wheel bag. In addition, he had a ton of 80-plus scores. He closes out 2022 with an average of 69.2 in AF and DT and 75.8 in Supercoach. That's a really strong return for us, especially Minimunk, because we're paying nowhere near that for him in any of the formats this year. No, we're playing at a much discounted price than that. And we've also got to remember that that 2022 year was his second year of playing AFL games. He played six games in 2021. And then in 2022, he comes out and goes, in his first four games, he goes 51, 67, 84, 83 AF and 80, 56, 101, 118 super coach. You want to get a rocket in your price. You go back to back tons at a sub 300K price. Yeah, That's how you gain 80K in a week. Like it's fast price movement. And that's what we're hunting at the early part of the season. You want players that can just generate you cash, get a reasonable score on field. And he's shown that he has that ceiling. Like the fact that he's been able to get three super coach tons already and an AF ton playing on a halfback role where he's not the main distributor in 2022. He wasn't the one that was getting all of the chipmark stuff. He had to fend for his ball. He was playing lockdown on players, playing tall at times as well as a second year player. That's, that's good scoring. That's good pedigree. That's someone who you would want to consider in your starting squads as a third-year breakout, let alone someone who's coming into a year after having most of the previous year off because of injury and then because of that comes in discounted. Yeah, injuries are never great, especially when it happens to the player, to the club, or the fantasy mm. owners around it. The upside for us, especially when there are significant and, and long-term as the injury was to Heath, is it means he comes in at a significant discount. He's priced at 45 in Supercoach. Even if he just gets back to what he did in that 2022 year, 30 points per game of upside, and immediately you go, worth it. Worth yes. it. 42 points per game is what he's priced at for us in Dream Team. Again, gets up to that high 60s. To me, I go, worth 20 it. points. I'll happily That's take that, it. let alone the breakout, let alone any of the other variables that I want to unpack mm -hmm. with you around role, structure, and importance he has to that. Mm -hmm. And then a 55 in AF. Okay, yeah, 15, 10, 15 points per game, just off known quantities, let alone forecast of what he could be. Sometimes in the community, Minimug, we're a slave to the numbers and go, he's averaged that once before, he'll do it again. Sometimes that's really helpful and true, 
Other times it's limiting and other times it can be a little bit overvaluing a certain player. But certainly with Heath, I think it's hope-filled, being optimistic, looking at what he can be. Because as you said, he's right at that part of his career where he's about to take off. Talk to me about this Fremantle side because there's been a lot of conversations specifically around Hayden Young. I wonder if he appears in the 50 most relevant or not. Um, But there's been a lot of conversation about him moving back into the midfield um, after that pretty successful four games. Does Chapman just slide straight back in and become the general alongside Luke Ryan and Alex Pearson, this defensive unit? Or might we see him trialled and moved in a few different areas this preseason? I think it's going to depend on who they're playing week to week. I don't think he's the type of player that stays in a static position and plays, you know, entirely as a third tall or second tall or entirely on the wing, like some people are suggesting. I think he's someone that can rotate between the two because he's a very tall player, but he's got really good aerobic capacity. He runs a lot. Freo brought in another player who could play wing, who is a bit shorter and can run a lot in Jeremy Sharp. And I think that he's the one that's going to be pushed outside in the absence of Liam Henry leaving the club. But I think that Chapman provides a lot more stability to that wing setup in terms of you've got Aish, you've got Sharp as your main wingers, and you've got Chapman as the third one who can rotate in as needed. So in terms of how they'll line up on a team sheet, I think that Chapman takes one of the back pockets, uh, sorry, the halfback flanks. And I think the other halfback flank goes to Jordan Clark. Those two players, the halfbackers who try and push the ball forward. And that when the rotation happens and Aish gets a bench stint or Shark gets a bench stint, Chapman's the one that actually rotates onto that wing spot. So I don't think there's any concern in terms of the role he's going to play. If he's playing as a third tall, it's going to be behind someone like Alex Pierce and, and Luke Ryan. Those two are the ones that will actually play one, two on the two key tools. And Chapman's the one that can play as the third interceptor because that's that's his natural game. That's where he can build a score. That's where he's really good in that team. Yeah, I think it's a good shout. Something we haven't talked about at all yet in the 50 most relevant. We haven't had a chance to get there. We spend a lot of this part of the preseason looking at players and not so much strategies. But when players get us to a strategy point, we did it just the other day with Rids talking about Tim Taranto. Now that we're here at Heath Chapman, it does present us an opportunity to talk about the multi-buy rounds, specifically round 13. Now, we might not need Chapman from that point onwards. We might save that for another day. But how important, while we're talking about Fremantle players, which does align to Chapman, how important is round 13 players, which are the Dockers and the Port Adelaide Football Club, how important could they be to helping us through that first block of multi-buys let alone what comes in the middle portion of the year. I mean, you look at Port Adelaide and Fremantle and you just think they've got the best buy. They don't miss a game that counts for us scoring in the first 12 weeks. They get a buy where they share it with only one other team and then they can play all the other multi-buy rounds. And for someone like Chapman, that can be useful. Like there is a potential where he gets to a point where he is close enough to being someone that you want to hold through those buys and you flick it round 16. There's a world where he doesn't last that long and you max out on price and you go early. But I think Fremantle and Port Pally has just in general become very valuable for that mere fact alone. I mean, we saw it last year with the value that was put onto Gold Coast and Geelong players, rightly or wrongly for some players. But I'll use someone like Tom Stewart as an example. He gets concussed in round one, misses round two, comes back, low score, price flaws, and a lot of coaches were just like, I want to get onto him because not only is he a proven top six defender, not only is he coming in at a cheap price, but he provides us with a stable premium score for the three other bear rounds that we don't have premiums for. 
it's an absolute step up, lay down Mazaire type move. So I think that that's the type of player that you can look for as an example of when it goes really well. And that's what we're looking for from Fremantle and, um, and Port Adelaide players as we're building our teams early in this preseason. It really is. That round 13 buy gives us great options to target other defenders after they've had their buy too. So you could be potentially talking about North Melbourne. So a Harry Sheasel type could be someone you could be looking at. GWS, Himmelberg, if he pops for Supercoach, Lockie Whitfield mm. probably is the most obvious in that team. The Lions, maybe a Kitty Coleman's dominated that front half the year. You want to go and get him, sure. And the Swans, okay, who's the guy that's going to pop? Is Jake Lloyd back? Does Callum Mills move back? That's the beauty of that pathway. But I feel like there's, two potential off-ramps and when you get him ultimately there's one off-ramp which is he doesn't pop you jump to someone else that is i want to talk about that in a moment but it feels like to me mini mug you could probably jump off him after that first block of multi-buys and then there's an interesting part before the next block of buys where the fixture does really tighten up can you talk to me about sort of round six round ten and then heading into round 13 by, identify where these timelines could be for Heath and what we should be looking as on and off ramps for him. Sure. So when you're looking at that kind of early fixtures, that early block of multi-buyers where you've only got the two teams missing it, you're playing your best 18. I think one thing that's been missing and a little bit of the nuance in the conversation is that you want players that have a ceiling because you are getting the bottom four scores knocked off. And if you get a rookie that pops a 190 and 80, that can actually potentially save you from a bad mid-price or a bad rookie score or a bad even premium score. Like think back to Laird round one last year. Yeah. Bad score in round one. Imagine you drop his score off because you've got a rookie or a mid-price that's yeah. popped a 90 or a ton. So that's where someone like Chapman becomes interesting because he has shown that he has the ability to pop those tons, especially in Supercoach. So holding him through that early block of those six fixtures and praying that he's maxed in price at that point, you can flip him to any sort of defender that you want to at that point. Great option. But if we look immediately after that round six game, or including that round six game, he's got West Coast, Western Bulldogs, Richmond, Sydney, and St. Kilda in a five-round block. That's as good a defensive matchup as you could probably ask for over a five-week window. Absolutely. and But the problem is then straight after that, he comes into Collingwood and Melbourne, and that Melbourne game is going to be played in the Northern Territories. That makes it a bit trickier. It could be very muggy. could be very hard to get marks. So I think there's a very clear jump off point either just straight after the initial buys. And I also think there's a very clear jump off point after round 10, after that St. Kilda game. Spike score, max price, nice and simple. You just go to whoever you want to. So I think those are the two main points that I'd be looking at with someone like a mid-price. And we've got to be careful not to be attached to them for too long. It's very rare that we get someone in this 400K range in AF, 200K range in Supercoach that becomes a season keeper. And realistically, you're wanting them for the early points as much as you can, and you want to trade them at their max price. So I think he's the perfect candidate for someone who can do that. It's a really good perspective. We've got a couple of guys in a similar price point across all of the formats that I wonder how many of them do we really need? We know as the season evolves, the cash cows become clear to us, and that ultimately informs a lot of our structure in certain lines. If there's a plethora of them, okay, all of a sudden we might not need these mid-range guys. It can be a little more, quote-unquote, guns and rooks or Mm. value premiums and rooks. But we've got a couple in this block. I wonder how many, if any of them, we'll see in the 50 most relevant. We're talking about Heath Chapman today. Zach Williams is another 
And then, you know what? Let's throw Nick Caulfield in too, because he's getting a fair amount of preseason love too. He is priced pretty cheap in Supercoach, so there's a bit of a price gap in Supercoach in those. But in the other formats, it's relatively comparable in the same sort of areas. I know they could all become parachutes for each other. How important is to have one of them? Is two too many? And is three just well past the tipping point? I'll start off with the obvious one. I think three is well past the tipping point. Because chances are, if you're having three, they probably have to be at D3, D4, D5, or D4, D5, D6. And if you're doing either of those, you might be leaving yourself a little either top-heavy or even bottom-heavy in your teams and in your starting squads. And I think that can be slightly problematic. So I think that the conversation is probably either zero, one, two. I think zero leaves yourself a little bit more of the guns and rookies type approach, which that has some merit to it, but I think one or two is a really nice number. There's a lot of love for Zach Williams early. Yes, he's coming back off his ACL, but the price points there. And Nick Caulfield's coming in at a really cheap price. And as you say, they become parachutes for each other. And they also become parachutes down to rookies that pop as well. We, we know that it's really hard to pick defensive rookies, especially ones that are good on-field scorers early. If after two games, you've seen enough from Heath Chapman, you make 100K, go down to Caulfield. You make 150K, you go down to the rookie that you've missed down back. And you can then do an upgrade on the other end of that as well. And I think if you've got two of them, it says, right, chances are one of them is going to pop. Chances are one of the players in this three high 300s, low 400K bracket is going to pop. We saw it last year with the player that a lot of people missed in Jaden Hunt. Went mm. massive, was one of the best cash cows of the year and nobody could get onto him because they didn't have another player in that price point. Most people had someone like Will Day and then they were stacked pretty high and then they had a bunch of rookies. It was really hard to find that 100K to go up in your back line. Whereas if you've already got someone there, it's very easy to just do the sideways move across or to parachute down to someone like that. So I think that I think that two is actually quite a nice number there. Yeah, some good advice. Look, for me, to not consider Heath Chapman means you're ignoring some significant scoring history. And the only pathway that for me would feel really comfortable that you're showing zero interest in Heath in your starting squads is this overabundance of defensive cash cows where they all come out of the woodwork where all of a sudden you go you know what I'm going to get a comparable score or miss 10 points but I'm going to make that money faster even if they're scoring 10 points per game less so for me Heath Chapman must be in consideration doesn't mean he has to be the one you start with of those few mid-range guys we've spoken about or lower end of mid-range but if you're not considering a guy that's got multiple hundreds in his super coach history, including a 130, has got multiple 80 plus games, including a triple digit score in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, whose price where he is, and you're going, yeah, not sure about that. Can I encourage you through listening back to this episode or watching back to this episode? You know what? You might want to reconsider it. It doesn't mean he has to be picked, but if you're not prepared to at least consider him, feel like you're locking yourself out of a guy that could be one of the best value return players for you in 2024. Draft day is interesting to me, Mini Monk. We know salary cap hype does impact draft and the timing of when your draft is probably becomes another key determination. Could you give me an idea of where you think is like the ceiling that you'd have to reach for him in a defensive position? And then where is the basement that he goes? So give me a D1, 2, 3, 4, 5, whatever it is. Where's his height at? Where's the basement you can get him at? I think it's really going to depend on how much salary hype comes through. He's a little bit under the radar a bit in fantasy circles at the moment. 
I think that his ownership is only about 6% in AFL fantasy. And I wouldn't expect it to be much higher than that in Supercoach and, and Dream Team either. But it could definitely come as the preseason goes on. The, the Dockers will be likely to hype someone who's coming back from a long-term injury who's a staple to the club. I think what his ceiling could be is at a very like high D3 range. Like I think he could easily be someone that averages 80 for the season, puts him in the D3 range. I think that that's not out of the realm of possibilities. I don't think you have to go at the D3 range to be able to get him. I think at late D3, maybe early D4 feels like a really sweet landing spot for him. Uh, and so that's where I'd probably be looking to draft him. Oh, if I could get him at D4, I'd be stoked. If you're hoping to mm. get him as your last defender on field, um, you're probably dreaming. Uh, I don't yeah. see how he's not taken inside the top 50 defenders. The only kind of premise that you could poke a hole in that is if the guys you play fantasy footy with aren't super switched on to the noise coming out of the preseason and draft off last year's rankings and averages. Yeah. Okay, well, then yeah. maybe you might be able to jag him at D5, but I'd take it as um, Mini Monker said, I'd, I'd happily take him at D4 if he's there. That feels like a, a massive win. Mate, it's yeah. been a privilege to talk to you yet again today, talking about one of your Dockers and a very, very relevant player for us in 2024. Yeah, very relevant one. It'll be interesting to see how many more to come in the list. Yeah, there's going to be plenty more, I'm sure, if you get your way, mate. We'll get a few more Dockers in for sure. If you want to go and check out the article that's accompanying this episode, you can, not just for Heath, but every other player we've revealed so far in the 50 most relevant. It's available for you now at coachespanel.tv. If you're not following us on any of the social media channels, all the details of where you can find us, join in the conversation with us and the broader Coaches Panel community, you can find in the description of this episode. In about 60 seconds time, I've got a little bit of a clue for you for who who's coming in at number 41 and who is jumping on board the podcast. Don't forget though, if you haven't followed us on where you're getting this podcast, whether it be the audio version on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever it is, or the video on YouTube, make sure you've subscribed, turn the notifications on so you get notified as soon as the episode is live and leave a five-star rating and review. It's one of those small little time-consuming things. It doesn't take a lot of your time. It does make a significant difference for us and help others find the coaches panel looking for their fantasy footy content in 2024. So who's up tomorrow? Number 41 in my 50 most relevant. Tomorrow, brand new, potentially, you might hear it pretty regularly. Who knows? Vams. You might know him as the fantasy nut from Twitter or X. He is on the podcast. You're going to love what he's got to say. I'm telling you that right now. It's a player that in one format, he is already there as one of the elite premium midfielders. In another format, he's been banging on the door for the better part of 18 months and just needs one variable to go his way before he transcends and hits the next tier. If you were to ask me, Who's one guy that's currently priced under 120 in all of the formats that's a midfielder that I feel really confident that could do it in 2024? It's this guy. Who is he? And why is he so low in the 50 most relevant? If I'm that bullish, find out tomorrow in the 50 most relevant. Yeah.